1 Corinthians chapter 13. I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide, faith, hope, love. These three, the greatest of these is love. You see. As we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have seen the multiple faces of love. As great as the spiritual gifts are, whether it's prophecy, it will be done away with. Tongues will cease. Jesus has bestowed gifts upon men whereby he reigns among us in doing mighty things. But the scripture is clear. The greatest thing of all is that of love. Love is that which every Christian should be earnestly praying for. That it is manifested in their life. It is the goal of the Christian life. It's what the walk of the Christian is about. Love. It's not up here simply. It begins with our mind, with what we understand. But if that's where it stays, it is of no use. We've even seen uh, actions of great charity sacrifice, and the like. If there's not love there, the apostle says, so what? It profits me nothing. Nothing. To have a head knowledge of, of God's Word, and it never reaches the depths of our heart, whereby it changes us, it's all for naught. We've got to keep in mind that any expression of love that is a resemblance of God who the scripture says is love. It is one of the perfections of God. But on a creaturely level, we can't um, emulate God in his perfection because only God is perfect. Nonetheless, it is the goal for which we strive. And God's love, therefore, is something that we ought to imitate on a creaturely level. It's what we ought to pray for. There is no greater quest in life than that to know God and to be like Him. 
to be like Jesus. That is the goal. Our text in 1 Corinthians 13 here in verse 6 manifests a glorious trait whereby we should imitate our God. One of God's perfections is that of His righteousness. And when we say that God is righteous, it is that that by which He maintains His holiness. His holiness is really a perfection that is an umbrella that oversees virtually all His perfections. God is righteous in that He is perfect. And His righteousness is seen in the standard by which he uh, expresses his holiness, in the standard by which he expects us to reflect. God is always true to his standard. And what is his standard? It's the Bible. It's where God has revealed himself to us. And the scripture says, this standard is truth. And this truth is that which is in conformity with God's holiness. It's what he has revealed to us. It's what he has spoken. It's what he expects of us to do, to be righteous. Righteousness, then, is holy living. That's what it means to be righteous. Hence, Unrighteousness is unholy living. To deal with this further, to understand when the Bible says we're not to rejoice in unrighteousness, because that's what our text says, do not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice in the truth. So, truth stands in opposition to unrighteousness. Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's look at verses 9 through 11. Because it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. There we have a list of some of the things, not an exhaustive list, but a list of those things that are unrighteous. In God's sight. And we have it set forth. And he says, such were some of you. Past tense. Some of you were all of these things. But no longer. No longer because you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the spirit of our God. It is the Spirit that does all these things. You see, sanctification is all about becoming like God, like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And therefore, in this, 
this sanctification, according to the scripture, is according to the truth. The truth of God. And therefore, who gets the credit for this sanctification? Do I get the credit if there's any kind of victory? No. Do you get it? No. Is it by the arm of flesh that we are sanctified? No. It's the Spirit of God who sanctifies us. Only the Spirit of God. So when he ends this text here, that all of these things, you were sanctified, you were justified by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit who accomplishes this in our lives. We have looked at this passage before, but it is so important. The promise of the new covenant in the old covenant. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36. But it expresses the main principle here of our text in 1 Corinthians 13. About not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoicing in the truth. But look at Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. The spirit of God cleanses us. Now this is in the context of the nation of Israel having been sent into exile because of its rebellion. Because of its spiritual adultery. Having forsaken God. And they were crushed. Some believe crushed to the extent that they would never recover in the minds of some. The temple of God, the most holy place on earth, was decimated by pagan, foreigners, Babylonians. Jerusalem was leveled, ransacked, thousands killed, and what remaining ones were carried off into Babylon. And in the mindset of the average uh, Israelite, all hope was gone. But all hope wasn't gone. God says, I will visit you. I'll have mercy upon you. How? I will cleanse you. I will give you my spirit. And when I give you my spirit, things will change. You will walk after my statutes. You see, when the spirit is present... When the Spirit is present, things are never the same, ever again. Obedience to God's commandments are the fruit of the work of the Spirit of God. In our text, in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says we're not to rejoice in unrighteousness, but to rejoice in the truth. Unrighteousness, then, is contrasted with the truth of God. And note how we are not to rejoice in unrighteousness, but to rejoice in truth. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? Well, it means to exalt in, to praise the things. We're not to uh, give any kind of merit whatsoever to unholy living, unrighteousness. 
the calling of every creature of God made in his image. And the only creature made in his image is man. And so the calling of man is to think God's thoughts after God. It is to manifest a holiness of life. That's our calling as creatures of God made in his image. We're to imitate him in every respect. And therefore, when we are to rejoice in the truth and not to rejoice in unrighteousness, what that means is we are not to give any legitimacy whatsoever to ungodly things. That's what it means not to rejoice in unrighteousness. You don't give any merit at all to ungodly things, such as what we read in 1 Corinthians 6 a moment ago. We're not to accept anything contrary to his revealed word. We're not to receive or give legitimacy to anything contrary to the revealed law of God. God is a God of truth. And truth is that which God says is truth, not what we decide is truth. Man is not the measure of all things. Man is not the center of as it were, of deciphering that which is true or not. God is truth. He has revealed truth, not only in His Son, Jesus, but in His very Word. What does John 14.6 say? John 14.6, that great passage, is, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, In the life. Nobody comes into me or comes into the Father except by me. I am the truth. Truth is that which Jesus is. He is truth in every respect. He is the manifestation of God. The disciples once asked God, show us the Father. And Jesus says, I have shown you the Father. I am By looking at me, you have seen the Father. I have revealed the Father to you. I, God, is truth. I am truth. Therefore, whatever I am is the truth. Whatever I say is the truth. That which I adopt is truth. That which I disdain is not truth. You remember Jesus' encounter with Pontius Pilate after that mock trial that was held by the Sanhedrin? When they gathered false witnesses and when Jesus declared he was the Christ and they, the high priest declared that you can't be the Messiah, delivered him over to Pontius Pilate to be put to death. So Jesus is before Pilate. Delivered over to Pilate to be executed, they hoped. Remember what Jesus said? Turn with me to John 18. This is what Jesus said, or that interchange that Pilate had with Jesus. Look at John 18, verses 36 and 37. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. 
But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate said, What is truth? See, the Greeks always were speculating and debating for centuries what is truth. And there were various schools of thought as to what is truth. And Pilate is simply mimicking what uh, the Romans and the Greeks had always been speculating is. What really is truth? Because there are various opinions. Jesus says, well, I am the truth. And one of the truths is, I am a king. He said, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, yes. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's not a political entity. If it were, my disciples would be fighting right now. But my kingdom is not of this world, meaning that its origin, its source of authority is not from this world. It obviously has worldwide implications. The scripture abundantly testifies to that. But where does it get its power source? Not from this world, but from God. Where did it originate? Not from this world, but from God in heaven. And so Jesus, it says here, he says, I have come to bear witness to the truth. And then he says here in verse 37, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, we'll speak about more about that just a little bit later. However, who is it of the truth? It's the elect of God. Only the elect of God hear the truth. Only the elect of God hear Jesus. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus came to bear witness to that truth. Turn with me to John 8. Look at John 8, verses 31 through 36. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son uh, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. If you know me, you shall know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Set you free from what? The slavery to sin. That's what? The slavery to sin to do evil. The slavery to sin to do unrighteousness. That's why 
Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices only in the truth, that which is holy, righteous before God. And you see, some of these had said to Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. We haven't been a slave to anyone. We're the children of Abraham. Really? Children of Abraham? I don't think so. Because if you were really the children of Abraham, you would have the faith of Abraham. And you do the deeds of Abraham. But as it were, you want to kill me. I'm of God. I've spoken truth to you, but you haven't received that. You know, in this passage, it says, the truth shall set you free. God's truth shall set you free from sin's tyranny. Brethren, the Christian is a new creature. The old has passed away. The new has come. The Christian is not the same as the world. It isn't. If you are of of Christ... You are a new person. So let me ask you, has the old really passed away from your life, the old man? Are you really a new creature? What dominates your thoughts, may I ask? What dominates your actions? Are you a loving person, the way we've been talking about? Brother, Yes, the creature may not be perfect, as God is perfect in his manifestation of love. But nonetheless, he calls us to that. As we've been going through this, this section on love, what love is, I hope you've been taking inventory. I hope the Holy Spirit has just raked you over, as it were, and given you unrest. Because as you've seen this, and I trust as we have... Uh, brought out all these aspects of love that we realize maybe how unloving we really are and how much more in sanctification we need to grow. But the thing here is this. It needs to be there in many respects. The love of God needs to be there. There needs to be this fruit of kindness, patience, not acting unbecomingly. A forgiving spirit, not holding grudges against people like we've seen. What love does not do. There's got to be this fruit in your life. A Christian is a new person. What did the Scripture say in the New Covenant? When the Spirit comes, He washes you. He cleanses you from your filthy old nature. It no longer has a stranglehold upon you. There's got to be a difference in your life. People have got to see that you're different. You see, if you are of the truth, you are a changed person. You know, one of the most difficult things sometimes is growing up in a covenant household. It's what is, that's the ideal. The ideal is to have a father and mother who love the Lord Jesus. To have a father and mother who saw to it to nurture you 
along the way as God commanded. Who had you baptized, who set a seal of God upon you. Who said, you know, you belong to me because of their faith. But it's not automatic, as we've said before. You know, one of the dangers of having grown up in a covenant home, as special as that is, is that religion becomes external. Parents take you to church. You're supposed to be in church, yes. But is your heart there? Do you really want to be in church? Do you want to fellowship with the people of God? There are many in Israel. Like the scripture says, not all of Israel is of Israel. Not all the physical descendants of Abraham were of the faith of Abraham. Jacob and Esau were the uh, touted as the great example of that. Both were covenant children. But God hated one. Esau loved Jacob. He was going to show his grace on one and pass over the other, Esau. Esau had no desire for righteousness. Amen. Turn with me. Well, look, you're in John 8. Just look down at verse 45 through verse 47 of John 8. Jesus was saying to this group, he says, there's a reason why you're of the devil, why you're trying to kill me, because you're not of the truth. Get that? You are not of the truth. And he says, but because I speak, verse 45, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. Remember what he said in John 18? All those, everyone who is of the truth hears me. If you are the elect of God, if you are not the sheep of the Lord Jesus, there will come a time, without question in your life, you will hear Jesus preach to your heart. You may hear many times, at least with the ears, but as it says, you may go in one and out the other. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you have the ears of faith? You actually hear Jesus preach. He says you can distinguish between the elected God and the non-elect because the elect hear my voice. And when you hear his voice, what do you do? You follow him. Look over, turn to John 10. Look at verse 24 to 27. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, he had told him he was the Christ, all right? But he said, I told you, and you do not believe. The words that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe. Why? Because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. The sheep hear the voice of the master. And they follow. They follow. They obey. Jesus says the truth. Remember Jesus said in John 18, 37, 
Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You hearing the voice of Jesus today? Really? I trust you are. Really hearing. See, the elect of, the elect of God hear Jesus preach to them. And the elect of God do what? They believe the gospel. They believe the gospel. You see, the gospel is said in Scripture to be the truth. The gospel is God's truth. Now, before we talk about the gospel being truth, we need to understand the relationship, first of all, of the Holy Spirit to truth. Turn with me to John 16. Look at verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. What is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth. Jesus said what about himself? I am the truth. What does the Spirit do? He comes to reveal Jesus as the truth to people. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit guides into the truth. Without the Spirit... You cannot know the truth of God whatsoever. Without the Spirit, you can't hear Jesus. Without the Spirit preaching to your heart, you can't hear Jesus. You can't follow Him unless the Spirit enables you to hear. The Spirit will guide you into the truth. You know the amazing thing, we've said this before, You can have people who walk in darkness who are atheists, agnostics, like I was an agnostic at one time as a young person, as an 18-year-old, who didn't hear until one day he gave me ears to hear. What can I say? One day, I heard Jesus. Before, I never heard him. But that day, I heard him. Proving I was the elect of God because I embraced Him. See, the sheep will hear Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Are you hearing the Spirit preach to you today? Jesus, in His high priestly prayer in John 17, said, praying for His church, He says, Sanctify them in Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Here is the truth of God. Right here is the truth. This is the only truth of God. No other truth. Not the Koran. Not the Bhagavad Gita. No other thing is the truth. This is the truth. This is the revealed word of God. It's the only word of God It is how God has revealed Himself to us. God has spoken to us in this book. And the Spirit will open your ears 
to hear this. And it doesn't matter what you have believed before. He will all of a sudden give you the, the reality that this is true. And you know it. This is why First John says when you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit, you know the truth. You don't have to be taught the truth. The Spirit is teaching you this. Why is it when the apostles preached around, and they weren't the only preachers, by the way, and when Paul came to Thessalonica, they had heard other preachers. But on this day, when Paul preached, they heard the truth of God through the apostles' preaching. And they believed. Why? Because the Spirit came with power, finally. Brethren, turn with me to John 4. Look at verses 21 to 24. Jesus has an encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. And he says to this woman, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. The time is coming, and now is. The dawn has appeared on humanity. When Jesus came, he says, the new covenant has arrived. And the worshipers of God will worship me, how? In truth, remember, and in the Spirit. Who guides you into truth? The Spirit. No man has to teach you this. You know it automatically if the Holy Spirit is there. You know, this is actually a fulfillment a part of the, not the only fulfillment of what Jeremiah proclaimed. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23. And look at verses 28 and 29. Jeremiah 28, 29. The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Preachers, preachers who are God's preachers, are the only ones who preach God's word. God's preachers preach His Word. God's preachers preach His truth. His preaching is truth. And it says here, His preachers preach in such a way, says, Is not my word like fire? John the Baptist, in his preaching, came as the forerunner of Christ, preaching a baptism of repentance, preparing them for the Messiah to come. John the Baptist says, the day is coming. <clears throat> he says, I baptize you with water. But he who is coming after me, 
whom I am unworthy to even loosen his, his sandal strap. This one who's coming after me will baptize you in the Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? To baptize you with Spirit and with fire. To be baptized with the Spirit means for the Spirit to come into your life and to cleanse you, to regenerate you. That's what it means to be baptized with the Spirit. But what does it mean to be baptized with fire? That's a terrifying thing. Because the imagery there in Matthew 3 is that of uh, the threshing floor, whereby it says the one has gathered the grain and the chaff, and here's how they separated the grain from the chaff. It says, by the winnowing fork, the winnowing fork, and they would get this fork, and they would get shovel up this grain and chaff, and they'd throw it up. And the wind would carry away the chaff, and the grain would fall to the floor. And what did John the Baptist say? When he who comes, he'll baptize you uh, with his spirit and with fire. It says when he baptizes you with the spirit, he will gather up the grain in his barn. But what will he do with the chaff? He will burn it, it says, with unquenchable fire. The preachers come preaching the word of God, and their word is like fire. It separates men. Preaching separates humanity. Those who believe and those who don't believe. Those who mock and those who receive it. Always, as God says in his word, there's always something that happens in preaching. As Isaiah says, my word does not return into me void. It will accomplish that which I intend for it. So when God sends out his preachers, things happen. Nothing is the same ever again. People will either reject it or they will receive it. His word is like fire. And it says his word is like a hammer. It's a hammer that shatters those. Guess what his hammer does, shatters? It shatters your darkened heart, does it not? The heart of flesh, the heart of stone, when the Spirit comes, what does He do? He shatters your darkened heart. He shatters that heart of stone, demolishes it, and gives you a heart of flesh. Nothing is the same. Turn with me. Well, let me say this. All the traits of love They're all produced by the Holy Spirit, aren't they? All produced. They all are the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians says. And it says it comes in the power of God. By the weapons of righteousness. You know, Jesus came to set men free. And he came to set them free, as I said, from the tyranny of sin. And you don't have to have the rotten attitudes. You don't have to have a life dominated by sin. You don't have to. If you have the Spirit of God, things are different, as we have said. As I said earlier, that if we are of God, we are the elect. And if we are the elect, we will hear Jesus preach to us. 
and we hear the gospel and believe. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. Look at verse 13. In him, referring to Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. What I want to, I hope what you caught there, it says, the gospel is said, the gospel of salvation is said to be what? The message of truth. The gospel is the only truth. And after hearing that gospel and believing it, it says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are His. You will belong to Him forever. Trusting in Him through the gospel will save you forever. Now, the gospel proclaims what? That we are dead in our sins, does it not? The gospel says we cannot arouse ourselves to take hold of Him like Isaiah 64 says. No man can arouse himself to take hold of Jesus. The gospel comes with saving power. Through the Spirit of God. That's how it comes. And when the Spirit of God comes, He comes and convicts us of sin. That we are miserable sinners. Every preacher that God has used down through the ages, and where preaching is lacking today, is this. Gospel preaching is preaching that convicts people of sin. That is what saves people. This so-called gospel of our modern times that exalts the human spirit is a deceitful lie of Satan. And it will not save anyone. No, the truth. What is the truth? The truth is, we are sinners. That's what God says. The truth is, Jesus is the only way. That's the truth that you've got to rejoice in. Turn with me to Colossians 1, 5. Colossians 1, verse 5. Well, let's back up to verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up in you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. See, what is the word of truth? The gospel. The gospel is the only word of truth. And so when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him, that is the way it is. You know, the thing that has separated Christianity always down throughout history, and is the very thing that has persecuted Christians, And why non-Christians always hold this up in our face to condemn us. It's going on for thousands of years. They say, you Christians are narrow-minded. You Christians only preach salvation in Jesus. That is your problem. That's what they raise up in our face. You are narrow-minded. To which we say, yes, there is only one way, Jesus. And we're not ashamed to proclaim to you that Jesus. 
This Jesus is the truth. Islam is not the truth. Buddhism is not the truth. New Ageism is not the truth. Only Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, is the truth. And that's the only thing that will save you. We don't rejoice in unrighteousness. We rejoice in the truth, the gospel, which is the truth of God. You see, you've got to reject all humanistic preaching of our day. See, when 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, love rejoices in the truth, what that means is you reject all other so-called truths. You reject all the humanistic tendencies in the world. That's what it means to rejoice in the truth. That is what it means. In this regard, turn with me to 2 Timothy 2.25. Actually, I ought to back up to verse 24 to get the whole context. 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 24. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to what? The knowledge of the truth. That God would have mercy on them, that's what it means, that they may come to the knowledge of the truth. That they may come to their senses, verse 26, escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You see, everybody held captive to Satan is a slave of Satan and of sin to do his bidding. And the scripture says his bidding is disobedience. But the gospel has come to set men free. Perhaps if God will give you repentance... If you will hear the voice of Jesus at last. You know, 1 Timothy 3.15 declares that the church is said to be the pillar and support of the truth. The visible church is said to be the pillar of the truth. If there's any place where human society ought to go to hear the truth. It is the church of the Lord Jesus, the visible church. Historically, whenever uh, among Christian nations, when uh, villages, towns were built, what was built first? The church was built first. The church had prominence in the town. It was oftentimes the center focus of the town for a reason. Here is truth. You want to know God? Come here. To his church, and you will learn truth. The visible church is the support, and it is the pillar of truth. Not other. What is so sad is that not all who profess to be in this visible church know God. That is what is so distressing. It's so distressing to me as a preacher. And I know it's distressing to other of my fellow preachers. And sometimes we get together, we have to, sometimes we moan about just what's out there. It's such a sad state of the visible church. That it's supposed to be the pillar of the truth. But it's, it's trumpeting a sound that is not clear according to the Word of God. 
What do we see out there today? We see this synthesis with the world. We see this uh, compromise with all other religions to the point, you know, if you want to, like I said, if you want to be criticized by someone, just be narrow-minded and stick to your guns, as it were, and say that Jesus is the only way, and you're going to take flack, I guarantee you, in today's culture. And they will argue with you and argue with you. But there is no other Savior. Don't buy into their lives. There is no other Savior but Jesus. The only power that there is, is the power of the cross, of the the risen Christ as well. That's the only power that will cause men to rise spiritually from the dead. You know, not all who profess to know him and even to be his preachers know him. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, look at verses 7 and 8. 2 Timothy 3, 7 and 8, back up to verse 6. From among them are those who enter to the households and captivate weak women, weighed down with and led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, now, notice what it says to those who oppose the truth. Here's what you've got to notice. Those who oppose the truth are men of depraved mind, rejected as regards the faith. Those who reject the truth are those of depraved mind. That's serious, isn't it? They are some who are always learning, as the apostle says, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of many educated, quote, biblical scholars who are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. So to have a lot of head knowledge will not save you. You better be of the truth. And speaking about those who come and are of depraved mind, they come preaching doctrines not in conformity to the, to the gospel. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6 and look at verses 3 through 5. 1 Timothy, Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. Follow carefully what is said here, starting in verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. You see that? Those who are teaching different doctrines have a depraved mind, deprived of the truth. 
depraved mind, deprived of the truth. And what is the truth? That which Jesus has taught. That which is taught in this word. That is what we've said is true. And notice also the truth of God and biblical preaching is that which leads to a doctrine, verse 3, what? Conforming to godliness. Godliness. The truth leads to godliness. Remember what 1 Corinthians, we've said 13.6, it's our text. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, unholy living. It rejoices in truth. So truth is opposite to unrighteousness. Rejoicing in the truth is to distance oneself from that which is ungodly, worldly, worldly thinking, worldly actions. Truth is godliness as defined by Scripture, as defined by Scripture. So those who say you can be a a Christian and be a drunkard are liars and deprived of the truth. Those who say you can worship the God of your choice are idolaters and are liars and are deprived of the truth. So says the Word of God. Those who say you can be a Christian and a practicing homosexual are liars and not of the truth. Just now, again, we are in a vigorous war that you can't imagine. Unlike anything I have ever seen in this respect. Never have I seen such an assault of, of trying to get the American people to adopt a way of of a lifestyle that God calls as an abomination. I have never seen anything parallel to it heretofore in my lifetime. To the point that if you preach against that kind of thing, you will be called a preacher of a hate crime. If things continue as they appear to continue, if God lets it take its course, you can expect this preacher probably to be in jail one day. Because I'll tell you this, if they pass a law that says you cannot preach that, you think I'm going to stop preaching what God's truth says? I'll never stop preaching the truth. But that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And those who say, and I've, I've read scholarly articles where it talks about you can be a Christian and, and practice homosexuality. Nonsense. And to see how they twist the Word of God. They will take a passage and they will twist it beyond all imagination to justify it. Turn with me to Romans 1, 18. Romans 1, 18 through 27. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. See how that correlates to our passage in 1 Corinthians 13? Don't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice in the truth. What, what is true of humanity? Some people suppress the truth, and when you suppress the truth, guess what happens? You suppress it in unrighteousness. 
It will always lead to ungodly living is what it will always lead you. That's what God's saying. So where does this suppression of truth in unrighteousness lead? Well, it says, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood to what has been made. So they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. And when they became a fool, what did they do? Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of God for an incorruptible, uh, of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, four-footed animals. They gave, so they, they gave themselves to idolatry. That's what suppressing the truth will do to you. It will lead you to idolatry. And then what? Verse 24, those who suppress the truth leads to what? They gave themselves over to the loss of their heart to impurity. Their bodies might be dishonored among them. When you suppress the truth, it will lead to ungodly living. Or what kind of ungodly living? Well, it says here, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, men abandoned the natural function of the woman, burned in the desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their own persons the due penalty of their error. And verse 20, 32 says, those who practice such things are worthy of death. When you suppress the truth of God, when you don't rejoice in the truth, then you will rejoice in unrighteousness, and you will lead a life of rebellion against God. Love, contrary to what some say. See, the the way the world pictures love today is love that just accepts everything, don't they? Just accept everything. If you really love people, just accept them where they are and what they do. It doesn't matter. Don't judge them. That's the way the world thinks. But the problem is this. Love is not what we think is what it ought to be. Love is what God says. And love rejoices in the truth. And real love rejects unrighteousness. That's real love. Turn with me to 2 Peter 2.2. 2 Peter 2, verses 2. Verse 2. Well, let's go to verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of truth will be maligned. Where did it start? By heretical teaching. Teaching that's not consistent with the truth of God. Deceitful men. 
where it starts. That will lead men astray. Did not 1 Corinthians 6 say that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God? Turn with me to 1 John 1, verse 6. 1 John 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See that? Walking in darkness, which is synonymous in Scripture with ungodly living, is not the truth. And those who walk, who have a lifestyle dominated by this, are not of the truth. And so we see here, love in our main text says it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Love is defined as God says it's defined, and love Loves the truth. Titus 1 is a key passage for us today. Look at Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a bond servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. This sort of ties together all that I've been preaching on here. The elect of God do what, the scripture says? They hear the gospel of truth. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Those chosen of God have the knowledge of truth. They have it. And if you have the knowledge of truth, guess what? You are those who are in accordance to godliness. You're not suppressing the truth in wickedness. You do what God says. The scripture says that he who is of God keeps the commandments of God. The scripture says, who is the liar but he who does not keep the commandments of God? Of course, you have those who say, well, preacher, that is your opinion. How many times have you talked to somebody and you've shown them a pretty clear text like 1 Corinthians 6 about... <clears throat> Who should not inherit the kingdom of God? Someone says, oh, that's your opinion. Pastor Warcraft one time was on a program with Gary DeMar of American Vision. And they were discussing something. And they had a call in. And the lady said, I disagree with that pastor that you have interpretation. And Pastor Warcraft's response was, all I did was read the verse verbatim. That's all I did. I didn't interpret anything. <laughs> the lady says, I disagree with your interpretation. Well, men will always distort the Scripture. You know, <clears throat> Peter is saying that there are those, with reference to Paul's teaching, it says he has taught some things hard to understand, but he goes on to say, those who don't accept, accept it, he says, are always twisting. That's what, these are the Apostle Peter's words. They are always twisting the Word of God. See, to say that you can be a practicing homosexual and be a Christian is twisting the Word of God. That's just one example. The sad thing here is that there are many who are touting other Gospels, or that is corrupting the true Gospel. Let me end with this passage. 
turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous and have given themselves over to what? to sensuality and the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught of him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God having been created in righteousness and holiness of what? Holiness of the truth. Truth always leads to holiness. The true gospel always leads to holiness. Folks, we need to always search our hearts. We need to always examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Just because you've grown up in a Christian home doesn't mean you are a Christian. It means you're more accountable. I've got to ask you, has the old self been done away that it In the sense that it no longer dominates you. Controls you. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. The old man no longer dominates your life. The fruit of the Spirit is seen. It may not be seen perfectly, but it is seen. If all that your Christianity is right here, if that's all it is, It will not save you. It will not save you. It has to embrace your heart. It has to reach down to the depths of your heart, and it needs to show in how you treat your spouse. It needs to show how you treat your parents. It needs to show how you behave at school. It needs to show how you relate to your employer, how you relate to your employee. The fruit shows itself. And if you are of the truth, and if you are rejoicing in the truth, you will accept what this book says. And this is your guide. The Spirit will guide you in this book, and only in this book. Because only in this book is truth. Do you rejoice in the Bible today? Do you rejoice in the Word of God? The truth. If you know Jesus, you do. And nobody had to teach you this. I can not only testify to myself in my own life, but I've talked to other people and read of so many who have walked in darkness. And the moment they 
they give themselves to Christ, their whole attitude of the Bible changes. <laughs> kind of obvious, isn't it? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in the truth. Let us pray.